In December 2010, there was a murder in North Philadelphia that really didn't get much attention. The body of a woman was found on December 3rd, strangled in an apartment building about two miles north of Kensington in nearby Juniata Park. Like Elaine Goldberg and Nicole Piacentini, this woman was young, white, and struggled with drug addiction. Her name was Allison Edwards. Edwards was 22 years old when she was murdered. Timing is everything. And she had the misfortune of being murdered between the second and third Kensington Strangler victims. Allison Edwards' story seemed to get lost amid the daily news about the Strangler. Although she died in a similar manner, police were certain early on this case wasn't connected to the murders in November. Two women killed by the same man, plus three women assaulted by the same man, five victims all connected. That made for bigger headlines than one young woman who died alone in a dilapidated apartment building, possibly from a drug overdose or at the hands of someone else. If she was murdered, did her killer purposely follow the strangler's signature to hide his crime? It took over a year for Allison's killer to be arrested, and over that year, someone pushed the police and the district attorney's office, relentlessly keeping Allison Edwards' name on their minds. That person was Allison's mother. I'm Dina Marie, your host on this Twisted Journey. Welcome to Twisted Philly. There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome Welcome to to Twisted Philly. Philly. While I was researching the episode about the Kensington Strangler, I found another name, one I didn't remember from back in 2010. Allison Edwards was found strangled in an apartment building on Glendale Avenue in the Juniata Park section of Philadelphia. That's about two miles from where the other Strangler victims were found. Allison Edwards was 22. According to her mother, Karen Emery, Allison battled drug addiction. Her story has elements that are so similar to the other women who were murdered in Kensington during the winter of 2010. Like Casey Mahoney and Nicole Piacentini, Allison Edwards was a mother. She had a young daughter, but her child wasn't with her. Her daughter lived back in Michigan. Allison had also battled heroin addiction. She suffered a near overdose so significant that according to her mother, Karen, Allison had a heart attack and a stroke. Somehow, after being on a coma and a ventilator as a result of that health crisis, she recovered, but it was slow going. All of that happened before she was 22 years old. These are health crises that many people never experience, and some don't deal with issues like this until well past middle age. Before coming to Pennsylvania, Allison Edwards lived in Michigan. She got pregnant as a teenager and had her daughter when she was only 16 years old. Allison's mother talked with local news about her life in Michigan. Although Allison Edwards had a child at a young age, she stayed in school. She was a cheerleader and an honor student who ran track, and she finished high school. But in her late teens, she began using prescription drugs and alcohol. According to a July 2011 interview with Karen Emery in the Philadelphia Inquirer, Allison was managing her life while she was in Michigan, even after using drugs. It was a trip to Australia that pushed her towards heroin. Apparently, Allison Edwards met a man online who lived in the land down under. In 2009, she left Michigan and moved to Australia to live with this man. While she was in Australia, Allison Edwards began using heroin. 
and her mother said Allison became a heavy drug user soon thereafter. In January 2010, Karen Emery sent her daughter a plane ticket to come back to the States. When Allison arrived in Pennsylvania, where her mother and stepfather lived, her mother checked her into a rehab center. But by May 2010, Allison suffered the overdose that nearly took her life. After that, she made another attempt to get sober, and by November, she'd had six months of sobriety under her belt. Like Elaine Goldberg, in the months before her murder, Allison Edwards was hard at work to get clean. On November 16, 2010, she posted on Facebook that she was six months sober. She'd recently started working at a PetSmart near where she lived in Bucks County. She was bathing dogs and really excited about going to grooming school the following year. That six months of sobriety was the first time in a long time that Allison had been drug-free. I'm going to mention an SVU episode again, I know. It's like art imitating life. A few days before I recorded this episode, my daughter was watching a marathon on one of the networks that run SVU for 12 hours a day. It was an old episode called Sacrifice from 2001 with Elizabeth Banks and Mark Paul Gosselaar, but that's not why it stuck out to me in connection to this episode. In the beginning of that show, Gosler's character is attacked, and he's found by a local homeless man, played by actor Dylan Chalfie. Chalfie's character is an addict, and as he's walking through the station, Finn asks him about getting clean. He says, that stuff will kill you. Chalfie responds with something to the effect of, a smoker doesn't know which cigarette will give them cancer, an alcoholic doesn't know which drink might cause cirrhosis of the liver, and an addict doesn't know which hit will kill them. I think that might be how it was for Allison Edwards. Less than 10 days after announcing her sobriety on Facebook, Allison said she had to start over again. Six months without heroin and something as small as a drink at a party at a friend's house pushed her over the edge back to using. On Wednesday, December 1st, 2010, Allison Edwards left the home she shared with her mother in Bucks County, a suburb north of Philadelphia. That was the last time Karen Emery saw her daughter. A few days earlier, Allison told her mother she had to let herself have just one more high. She said she wanted to get it out of her system before trying for sobriety again. Emery didn't know where her daughter went when she left, although she probably suspected what she was doing. What do you do in that situation? I mean, what can you do? Edwards was 22, so she was legally an adult and had been for a few years. Do you call the police and ask them to prevent your child from leaving home? Your grown adult over 18 child? Do you put a padlock outside of their bedroom door? You can't do that. Maybe some people do. I think it's easy for those of us who don't have a child suffering with drug addiction to talk about what we would do to protect them or help them get sober. And that's all wishful thinking because we have no idea what it's like to watch your child slip into a dark, swirling vortex of heroin or other forms of addiction. Allison wasn't a minor, so how do you stop an adult from doing what they've got their mind set on doing even when it's something destructive? You don't. You wait for them to come home. You sit by the phone. You don't sleep. You keep looking at the front door, hoping they'll walk through it again. Sadly, Allison Edwards never made it home. Philadelphia police found Allison Edwards' body in a second-floor apartment inside a rundown building on Glendale Avenue in Juniata Park. Initially, they told Allison's mother, Karen Emery, that she died of a drug overdose. 
The loss of a child is devastating. I can't wrap my head around it. I did talk to a friend with a family member who struggled with addiction for years. Their family member is now sober, has been for a number of months, and they are cautiously optimistic. But this friend also told me about months and even years where they waited for a phone call or for the police to knock on their door expecting news that their family member died as a result of addiction. They lived with that sense of expectation every day. When she learned of her daughter's death, Karen Emery told the Philadelphia Daily News, When I believed she had overdosed, I thought, well, could it get any worse? Then I found out she was killed. She really could have had a chance. She wanted to be sober so bad, and that was stolen from her. Allison Edwards was murdered. An autopsy revealed she'd been strangled. Allison went to North Philly, not far from where the Kensington Strangler prowled the streets, where anyone and everyone went to score heroin because you could get it fast and you could get as much as you want if you had the money. You also risked your life, and not just because of the drug. Edward's mother claims Allison knew one of the strangler victims, although she didn't remember which one. If that's true, I wonder if Allison may have known Elaine Goldberg. They were both about the same age, and they didn't live that far from one another outside of the city. They were both recently sober and excited about school and their careers. I can also imagine Allison knew Nicole Piacentini, someone older than Allison, but also a mother who spent more time around the stroll and the streets of North Philly, she may have been a recognizable figure to other women in the area. Maybe Allison knew one of the victims, but didn't know her. Like the way you might see someone on your way to work every day. You notice their face on the train or a few blocks from your office. Or maybe you see them a few times a month in the grocery store. You'd recognize her if you saw her somewhere else outside of the context where you're used to seeing one another. As I learned about Allison Edwards' murder, I wondered if the reason she wound up in Juniata Park is because she thought it would be safer than the neighborhood around the Kensington Stroll. Although it was two miles away, the area where she was found in Juniata Park was like a mini version of the corner of Kensington Avenue and Somerset Street. In fact, there was a neighborhood park not far from the building where Allison was found that the locals called Needle Park. Philadelphia police received a call on the evening of December 3rd in 2010 from someone who claimed to live in the apartment where Allison Edwards' body was discovered. He told police she was asleep on the couch when he left early that morning for work, and he found her unconscious when he returned home at 8 o'clock that night. And he wasn't the only person staying in that apartment. During her autopsy, the coroner uncovered skin cells under Allison Edwards' fingernails, and he ruled her death a manual strangulation. He said there were also signs she may have been sexually assaulted. Soon after the autopsy, Philadelphia police indicated they had a suspect in the murder of Allison Edwards, but it took a year before police were able to bring charges against her murderer. Throughout 2011, Allison Edwards' mother, Karen Emery, did everything she could to keep her daughter's murder in the public eye and on the radar of the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. Emery held vigils at the site of Allison's murder, the apartment building on Glendale Avenue in Juniata Park. She launched a fundraiser to solicit donations that could be used as a reward for information leading to the arrest of Allison's killer. Karen Emery raised $1,600 on her own, which was a far cry from the 37000 donated by the City of Philadelphia and other donors for information leading to the arrest of the Kensington Strangler. Emery stayed in frequent contact with investigators and the district attorney's office. 
Philadelphia's homicide unit had evidence that put a prime suspect not only in the apartment where Allison Edwards was murdered, but someone with whom she was in a brief relationship during the days before she was killed. And at the time, it just wasn't enough evidence to arrest him. In late 2011, Karen Emery went back to the district attorney's office and convinced a prosecutor to review her daughter's case. In the weeks that followed that visit, Philadelphia homicide investigators continued to build a case against who they believed to be Allison's killer, a 40-year-old drug dealer named William Walton who had multiple prior convictions for robbery and possession. William Walton was finally arrested on January 9th in 2011 and charged with murder on January 10th. After his arrest, Karen Emery told the Philadelphia Daily News, Police knew who the killer was soon after the murder occurred. They found his DNA under my daughter's fingernails, but they said it was from consensual sex, so it wasn't strong enough evidence. The thing this arrest shows is that in order to get any justice in Philadelphia, you have to probe and prod and keep at it. If I didn't keep calling the DA's office, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere. He is the guy who called in my daughter's supposed overdose to 911. He claimed she was fine when he got for work, and when he came back, she was dead. He waited like 13 hours to make the 911 call. I love my daughter. This was driving me nuts. It's bad enough that this man took her life, but for him to get away with murder and be free to hurt someone else, that was worse. I told the DA's office from the start, I'm not going away. Finally, they issued a warrant and got him off the streets. William Walton's preliminary hearing began on March 6th, just about three months after his arrest. According to a witness for the prosecution who was also staying at that Glendale Road apartment, Allison Edwards was staying in the living room with William Walton. In his testimony, he told the court that Walton and Edwards had a very brief yet volatile relationship. He used the word timid to describe Allison and loud to describe Walton. This witness and another man staying at the apartment testified when they awoke on the morning of December 3rd, they found Allison Edwards lying on the living room floor with a sheet covering her body. They pulled back the sheet and they could tell that she was dead. A needle was nearby on the coffee table. Walton staged Allison Edwards' murder to look like an overdose. Although witnesses testified the evening before her death, Walton and Edwards were fighting and it got pretty bad. There were delays in Walton's hearing, and the following year, in March 2013, William Walton pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and possession related to the murder of Allison Edwards. On March 20th, he was sentenced to between 5 to 10 years for possession and up to 20 years for voluntary manslaughter. The judge sentenced him to serve the possession term after serving his sentence for manslaughter. Now, I searched and I couldn't find any details on why he was convicted of manslaughter and not murder, because this case absolutely seemed like murder to me. According to what I read in an overview of Pennsylvania voluntary manslaughter laws, the state law establishes one of two conditions as the basis for voluntary manslaughter. The first is heat of passion, and the second would be unreasonable belief. And I'm going to read to you directly from that overview so I don't screw it up. A heat of passion homicide describes a killing that happens suddenly, while a provocation affects the defendant's judgment and intentions. The act of provocation must be one that would cause a passionate or emotional reaction in any reasonable person. I don't see how that definition in any way applies to this case. 
I can't imagine any reasonable person responding by strangling someone to death if they're mad and then making it look like their murder was a drug overdose. And in the case of unreasonable belief, a defendant must have had a mistaken belief that he or she needed to use deadly force against a victim in order to protect himself or another person. There's no way unreasonable belief applies in this case either. You mean to tell me he needed to use deadly force to defend himself from a girl less than half his size? I don't think so. When these laws talk about provocation, he was pissed off at her. Apparently, she didn't text him enough or she wasn't behaving in a way he wanted to, so he killed her. That is not reasonable. Maybe the DA's office felt they had a better chance at getting a guilty conviction for manslaughter than they would have for second-degree murder. But the fact that William Walton pled guilty makes me believe there may have been a deal arranged between the defense attorney and the district attorney's office. And then as a result of that deal, he was offered a sentence of up to 20 years if he pled guilty for voluntary manslaughter. I found a few images of Allison Edwards online. Not many, just a couple. One is the last picture her mother Karen Emery took with her on Thanksgiving in 2010. Allison looks like a sprite. She is a beautiful girl. There's something in her eyes that reminds me of a sprite or a fairy. I don't know why. It's just the first thought that popped into my head when I saw her picture. She has shaggy, bright blonde hair, and she's wearing a knit cap, and she looked really happy in that picture with her mom. There's another photo that I think was also taken in the winter of 2010, featuring Allison and her dog, Zelda. She adopted Zelda to celebrate her sobriety in November, just a few weeks before she was murdered. Zelda's been cared for by Allison's mother since she died, and her daughter, who was five in 2010, still lives with her father in Michigan. Digging into these cases from Kensington and nearby areas in North Philly and the edge of Northeast Philly had me reading a lot about the heroin problem in Philadelphia, especially in these neighborhoods. And I got to tell you, the feeling of utter hopelessness that came over me as I learned more than I ever expected to was really tough. I've been asked a number of times to do an episode about Philadelphia's heroin problem. What I shared in the episode about the Kensington Strangler doesn't even begin to give you a glimpse of what's going on in parts of our city. I included an audio clip in that episode of someone talking about getting off the L at the corner of Kensington and Somerset and never leaving. Never leaving that corner or that stretch of a few blocks. You get off the train, score, get high, look for a place to crash, which could be in a vacant lot or an abandoned building, wake up, panhandle for money, then score again and do it all over again, day after day after day. That is such a cycle of despair. I cannot even imagine living that way. And it's really fucking sad to think about all the people who cannot break that cycle. If I do an episode about the city's heroin epidemic, I think I'd focus more on what the city is or should be doing about it and how the residents of Philadelphia react to addicts and neighborhoods that are struggling. Neighborhoods that became a feeding ground for dealers. I was so blown away by Allison Edwards' mother, Karen Emery. Her tenacity and perseverance with the police and the district attorney's office were amazing. It's hard to fathom the loss she's experienced, and I think it's really incredible to see how hard she fought to make sure her daughter wasn't forgotten among the big headlines and nightly news stories about the Kensington Strangler. There are stories like Allison's probably every year in Philadelphia and other parts of Pennsylvania. Stories about a girl trying to make her way in the world, 
She makes mistakes, she works to overcome adversity, and those stories end in tragedy. But we don't hear about them as often because they don't make national news or they don't make much of a news story locally. I'd never heard Allison Edwards' name before I started working on the Kensington Strangler episode back in February. And I probably never would have heard her name before if I hadn't launched Twisted Philly. If Allison's mother, Karen, ever hears this recording, I want her to know there are thousands of people who will know her daughter's name because of her fight to get justice for Allison Edwards. People will know how hard Allison fought to maintain her sobriety. They'll know she was a good mother and a good student. They'll know she has a family who loves her and did whatever they could to help her both in life and in death. Before I go, I'd like to thank longtime listener Maria for the voice acting in this episode. Maria was our very first twister, and I am so grateful for her friendship and support. I'd also like to thank Emmy Sarah for the music you heard in this and almost every episode of Twisted Philly. You can find out more about Emmy on her website at emmysarah.com and download her music on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. That's it from me. Ciao for now, twisters.